I'm beginning to think. Yes, I'm beginning to think. Thoughts become me. Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on The Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to right now? So I just had the opportunity to be up in uh, Paso Robles, which is part of Southern California. It's like the Southern California wine district. It's like the Napa of Southern California. And it's really known for its red wines, which I am a fan of. And I was up there because on Tuesday, I was speaking with a group of HR leaders, about 100 different HR leaders from what's called the Central Coast. And I was getting to do a keynote talk and really engage with them, which was super fun. Uh, Thanks, HRCC, for having me. And one of the things that we were talking about is what has happened over the last two decades in particular, in the domain of leadership, sort of the difference between what leaders were needed to be in the 20th century and what leaders need to be in the 21st century. And one of the things that we were talking about is the fact that it feels like the pace of change is moving faster than it ever has before. And one of the things that we realized is that this ubiquitous thing that we all have, this this piece of technology, whether it's our iPhone or our Android or our MacBook or whatever it might be that, that we use, was only actually the first iPhone didn't come out until 2007. Like, is that amazing? 2007, the first iPhone came out. This thing that we all sort of have attached to ourselves, whether we're an iPhone or an Android user. And I believe that in part, that has accelerated the pace of change. So that brings me to our guest for today, Beth Banks Cohn. Beth Banks Cohn is an accomplished organizational consultant and thought leader with more than 25 years in the pharma, biotech, IT, high tech, and manufacturing industries. She's regarded by many as the authority on culture and leadership change and is a sought after speaker on organizational change. She began her career at Johnson & Johnson, and over her 16-year tenure, she's held various positions of progressive seniority when she was there at Johnson & Johnson. She holds a PhD in human and organizational systems from Fielding Graduate University 
and has authored numerous blog posts and several books, most recently an essay in The Secret Sauce of Leading Transformational Change. How juicy does that sound, y'all? Welcome to the show, Beth banks Cone. Thank you so much, Janine. So wonderful to be here. I'm so glad my camera's <laughs> exactly. I'm not sure what happened, but I'm here. I'm here. Technology. Change. That's right. Change. That's right. We yeah. and we get to roll with it. And sometimes we get rolled by it. So right. right? Yeah. So, so uh, I'm gonna begin the way that I often begin, which is what is something that you have noticed, Beth, that we are not paying enough attention to, either consciously or unconsciously. And what is the cost? of that inattention? So I would say for me, having worked in change for so many years, decades, yep. that what we're really not paying attention to is we're not paying attention to the three parts of the mind that we really need to focus on, right? So we often, when we're dealing with change, focus on the how we feel about it. Right. And we sometimes pay lip service to the cognitive, like what we <laughs> want to tell people about it, right? Yeah. But we definitely don't pay attention to the conative or the doing part of the mind, which is where our instincts sit, which is where our natural talents sit. And often that's because it, it is more personal and companies just want to implement change at a macro level. But the truth is change gets implemented at a micro level, person yeah. by person. And we're, and we're definitely not paying attention to that. Definitely not. I, so I love that distinction. And um, as I was doing some prep for this episode, I found this graph. So what I love about this is that in my experience, and I, and I would love your take on it, it feels to me like sometimes what happens is we get stuck in this exploration reorientation part. Like, we the change is coming we know what the change is we have shock and denial and anger and blame and anxiety and uncertainty and then we go into some confusion and resignation and impatience and innovation maybe but then it it's hard sometimes to get fully up the next hill to acceptance and commitment and energy and willingness. And so I would love your your take on this you that we get stuck in sometimes in the in the change cycle. Yes. And and so this is this is a great this is a this is a great picture. There's there's lots of different ways of looking at change. This happens to be a, a great one. Yep. And I think I think it's it's not so much that we get stuck. It's that we've not actually gotten the commitment that's needed to get further, right? And so oh. we say, oh, we want, you know, we, we want everyone to feel good about the change. But the truth is, is that employees need to believe in the change. Like it's not enough <laughs> that they need to feel okay about it. Like they need to believe in it because by the way, you're asking them to sacrifice something. Maybe yeah. it's energy, maybe it's time, maybe it's the job as they know it, maybe it's their career. Like you, you just, there's always a sacrifice for employees. And so we don't get people to that belief level when right. it comes to change. So that's, that's one thing. That's why we get stuck. And the other, another reason why we get stuck is, is that we don't, we don't cognitively give people enough credit for really being able to understand and get to the evaluation level, right? You, sometimes companies will say to me, well, we told them why we were doing it. I'm like, yeah, but you didn't tell them <laughs> 
you didn't tell them why you weren't doing something else. Like you didn't give them the whole conversation. You gave yeah. them the end result. And there's plenty of people out there who need to know you decided to do this, but you didn't decide to do this. And why didn't you decide to do this? Why is this the best decision for us right now? And what are we going to do if it's not working? Like all of that's a cognitive thing. And we don't, we yeah. don't do that. And so people aren't, they're not on board, right? Fully on board. And then the last thing is, is that often we, we change people's jobs in such a fundamental way that from a cognitive or doing perspective, people have to be willing to direct personal time and energy. And sometimes the they don't have the right energy to do what you're asking them to do because that's not their, it's not where their mental energy sits. We all yeah. have a limited amount and it's divided into different things. And sometimes you're asking somebody to be, so to gather information when they never had to do it before, but that's not their, that's not their talent. That's, that's not, not their, their jam. Their instinct. It's not their jam. Yeah. And so we need to really be thinking about all of those things. So I love this idea that we need to give people more information than we're, than we're giving them. And it's so fascinating to me how hung up we often get and how hung up leaders often get and how hung up folks in the C-suite often get about giving out the information that got them in their thinking to the place where they are now. And, and sometimes we're really reticent to like to give up those details. And I'm really curious, Beth, in your experience and helping people through this, do you have any insights or thoughts about why we get so stingy with information and why we don't want to bring, bring people into that conversation about why we didn't choose this and why we chose that instead? Yeah, I think for me, it's been, if from my experience, it's been really simple. They're done with the conversation. <laughs> like they had yeah. that conversation. Often it wasn't such a great conversation, right? But it was, maybe it was right. painful. They had it a while ago. They, they've, they've already talked it out. They don't want to talk it out again. And they don't want to, by the way, it. They don't want to go through the the comments that people are going to have. Well, did you think about this? And did you think about that? Because by the way, they think they've thought of everything. So they just don't <laughs> want to have that conversation again. They don't want to open themselves up to having that conversation. And yeah, and I I get it, but it doesn't work. Like it's it really is backfiring, and more so than ever. Like I be, because there's like you know from the from the Colby index, like there's different people have different needs for information, right? But you you have to give them some kind of uh, level of information that allows them to understand your decision. Like you can't just say this is the decision, right? You really do have to go into more detail. And when you do, people are going to ask more detailed questions. And leaders, they're done. They just want to move on. Like they're ready to move on to the next thing. You know, when I speak with leaders about change and I talk to them and I say, you know, you've gone through like the stages, right? Denial, resistance, you know, your acceptance, and now you're in commitment. Like you're here, right? Right, right. You've and gone through you've the whole you. It and yeah. everyone else is in denial. Like, right. and you need to bring them to where you are. They're not going and they're not going across, right? They're going through the curve, right? right? But if you're here and everybody else is in a different place, you need to bring them along. And you can't do it by saying, shut up and get back to work. 
And it's it's so brilliant. I love the connections actually between uh, what I was thinking about when we started and the the 21st century leadership. You know, this idea of bringing people along and being more inclusive and less micromanaging and less command and control and more, you know, engaging and flexible and and coaching with people instead of dictating to people. These are all the sort of key tenets of what it takes to be a great leader today. It's also the things that make a great change leader. Um, and so, and I think I think you're spot on that, you know, by the time, if we've gone through a difficult process to get from there to here, by the time uh, we get, you know, ready to announce the decision, we don't, we don't want to go back to, to plan A or step A. But the cost of not doing that is you know, I, I know from, from working with teams, uh, in my experience, the cost of not doing that is people get disengaged and people get stuck in the U and people get, you know, they, they don't understand and then therefore they don't buy in and they get disruptive. And so in your experience and leading people through change effectively and well, um, a, what do you what do, what have you experienced are are the costs of people not bringing others along with them, and then what is the opportunity when when leaders do take the time to go through what may be you know like I went through all that pain before I don't want to go through it again <sighs> okay but I need to go through it again and and there's going to be some good juicy stuff at the end of having gone there. Like what's the payoff? Yeah. So listen, the cost is, is that you don't get your return, right? <laughs> the cost is from a business perspective is you're just not going to get the return. So you, you might've sold this, that this is going to give your business, you know, a, a, a 10% lift, a 20% lift, whatever it is, you're not going to get it. Yeah. And so you're, you're going to have to be satisfied with getting less than what you anticipated. So there's that. That's the cost. That's there's the that, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I mean, you and, went and you, through this painful thing right. to get to where you want to be, and right. now you've announced it, right? But you're actually not going to be able to implement it because you're not bringing your people along with you, right? Yeah, yeah. and and by the way, you can implement it, but you're not going to get the adoption that you need in order for it to make a difference, right? Yeah. And so that's the, and often often that's what happens, right? So they'll they'll say, okay, well, we're just going to implement it, and then we'll, <laughs> then we'll work on it, right? Yeah, and 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 so the focus instead of the focus being on we want everybody on board. We want everybody to like be on board from day one. We're going to go through the conversations in order to make that happen. It might slow us down for a month, but the uptake will be so much faster when we actually make it happen. Right. It's, it's like, go, it's, it's like being willing to go slow to go fast in the end. So, yeah. and when you do that, then you get, then you get your return, right? Because yeah. you've based your return on something, but you, if you've, if you've, you're basing it on like, adoption, like a hundred percent adoption, or maybe not like maybe you're saying, well, okay, maybe only half of the people are going to be interested in this or half of the people are going to follow what, what we're trying to do. And, and that's fine. That's fine. But if you're, if you're, if you're willing to take less, like, what are you doing it for in the first place? Like, why are you going through all of this? If you're, if you're going to get half what you're looking for or half what's possible. I mean, I've worked with teams where when they've, 
when they followed the process that I use, that I've created over my many years in business, and, and they do the things they need to do all along the way, and they take into account the three parts of the mind, and then they get way more than they bargain for, right? Mm. Because, because they're, they're doing it. They're just doing it better. Everybody's doing it better. Productivity doesn't fall. Like, you know, often productivity plummets when you implement something new or it's some, some kind of change. It, it doesn't have to. I've worked with teams where it doesn't, productivity doesn't fall because you've done all the things you need to do in order to, in order to make that happen. But we get caught up, companies get caught up in, I don't want to have the conversation again. And I don't, I don't want to have to learn something new that might change the outcome. Uh, I decided I want to do this. Yeah. And I think I have a really good case and we've talked about it and we've debated it and you're right. And then some, some guy who's at a three levels lower than you (laughs) says, yeah, but what about this? And it can change everything. And as a leader, you have to be willing to do that in order for you to be a great leader. And the truth is being a great leader is synonymous with being a great change leader. Like to me, if you're a great leader, especially today. And if you're, if you're not a great leader, you're not a great leader in a lot of departments, including, including change. It's not just just change. Right. And so, um, but I, I do think, I do think that it's the, so the, the, the downside is you don't get what you're looking for. And the upside is you can get more than what you're looking for. Like I worked once with a team that like, that they got this lift in business that they never anticipated because we, we went back and we did do exactly what they didn't want to do. Like we did a pilot and then we took the feedback from the pilot and we changed the process because uh, the feedback from the pilot told us there were certain things that needed to change. Yeah. And then when they implemented it, there was a hundred percent adoption. Then And, and then, then it was kick ass. Right? They were wildly successful. Right. Like, right. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Like to me, it's like, I mean, I get why they don't want to do it. Like right. I, I feel their pain, but yeah. at the end of the day, you need to do what's best for your company. Not what's best for in the short term, what you think, right? You just want people to like, you want to do this thing because you want to be seen as doing it. But it, but it really is about results. Like, what are you, what are you accountable for? Are you ac- accountable for flipping the switch or are you accountable for the results that come after? Right. right. I mean, I and- came out of the IT world and IT used to be, not anymore, but it used to be flipping the switch was success. Right. Well, then you got a lot of flip switches, but you didn't get a lot of success after the fact, right? Right. And that's changed, thank goodness. That's right. changed. But that's it's like to me, it's like, what are you looking for? Are you looking to flip the switch or are you looking to actually make just change that's significant and sustainable and it's gonna make a difference for your business? Like, why else would you go through change unless you want to make more money or right? make a bigger impact? Right. And and then why would you sell yourself short for expedience? Because you're because you're done with the conversation, like that's a little, that's a little self-centered. I think. <laughs> and, you know, we, we all have that. We all have the, I'm done with this conversation. I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. We all have the, I have cogitated over this. I've brainstormed with other people. I, you know, we found a good solution that I feel good about. So I, I think we need to just implement it. And I do not want some Yahoo three rungs down coming up with, you know, a, well, what about, or did you think of, and as you said, you know, when we are willing to slow down a little, to go slow, to then be able to go fast, 
it a we may come up with a better way to do something we're gonna get the buy-in that we need to have the change be effective and be sustainable and it's one of the things you know when we think about 20th century leadership and we think about 21st century leadership you know in the 20th century we had all of these people you know lee iacocca and and these people who became synonymous with their brand and and it was a style of leadership that was very much about the leader and not really about the organization and definitely not about the people in the organization and then you think about where we've come to now when it really is about the people and the experience that the people are having so that then we get the buy-in, so that then we get the processes in place, so that then we get the productivity so that we are profitable and we are producing the widgets or the uh, thought leadership or the whatever it is that we are about creating right. in order to, to be successful as an organization. And, and, you know, I mean, all, all change has some level of difficulty in it. And, and I think when we can look at where we've been and where we want to go, it gives us that opportunity to see like, okay, this, this really is, there's some things about it that are, you know, quote unquote hard, but, but this is what's going to be successful. This is what's going to create people who are thriving, which then lead to organizations that are thriving. Oh yeah. There's no question about that. No question about that. And I think sometimes, or I think sometimes leaders also forget that, um, that they're introducing a change into an, an environment, right? Into a context. And sometimes they're somewhat unaware, which always, always surprises me, but never should. <laughs> Is that they're somewhat unaware of all the other changes that are going on, right? And and so sometimes you really have to think, well, what else is going on? Like, what else have I done that's affected these groups that now I want to introduce even more change? People have get change fatigue. I mean, and right. since the pandemic, it's rampant. Right. We all we all have a level of change fatigue, burnout, you know, there's been so much uncertainty that we're all sort of swimming in all the time. Um, and then you layer on that sort of, you know, the world news and mass shootings and, you know, sort of all of the things that are happening in the world. And we all, you know, it's not surprising that in 2020, 2021, 2022, you know, this topic around burnout and, you know, yeah all of these books have come out on burnout and and the WHO classified burnout as an organizational problem. It's no longer I am burned out. Right. It's that this organization is causing me to be burnt out. And so then right. how do we address it at the organizational issue, which I think right. is part of where, you know, your brilliance comes in. I want to talk about this idea of the three parts of the mind and you've uh, you've touched on this a little bit, but I would love it if you dig into this a little bit around uh, the cognitive and the effective, and then this word that many people don't know uh, around cognitive. Yes, absolutely. So, so we've known that we have three parts of the mind since Aristotle. Aristotle wrote about it, and from a three parts of the mind perspective, what he what he wrote about that that didn't that didn't get picked up sort of 
as time went on. Plenty of people wrote about it. Mm -hmm. But as time went on in the mainstream, this whole this whole profession of psychology and the mainstream psychology and, yeah. the, and the people that were in it, they, they really did drop it off, mostly because they couldn't figure out how to measure it. Because you can measure IQ and you can measure right. feelings, right? But it it was difficult for them to this measure this instinct. Like, how do you measure instinct, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, and so they didn't talk about it a lot. But Kathy Colby, quite a while ago, probably over forty years ago, she was really interested in things that you couldn't explain through cognitive or affective. And she went back. She did research. She found out that there was this third part of the mind, and she she set out to create. A, uh, an, a, an instrument that measured it. And she's been quite successful. And uh, it's called the Colby index. And, um, but the, but here's the, here's the thing. It's like these, these three parts of the mind have to work together. Like they're not separate. Right. But you have to, you have to know and give credit to each of them. Right. So mm -hmm. you have the affective or feeling part of the mind. It's where our, it's where our motivation lies. It's where our preferences lie, our values and uh, our beliefs and and it's it's really important to to pay attention to that and not just at a not just at an individual level but also at an organizational level right and right. and the truth is that most instruments we take today disc myers briggs strengths finder like they're all measuring this affective part of the mm -hmm. mind that's what they're measuring and that's it's fine like it's it's important right that's good yeah, yeah. Then we have the cognitive part of the mind. And the cognitive part of the mind is where our IQ is, our skills, our knowledge, our, our experience, like all of those things are sitting in that cognitive or thinking part of our mind. We do sort of have things that sh that get kicked off by each by each other, right? So in the affect, if, if I'm motivated about something or I'm thinking about something and I have feelings about it, like that your cognition basically helps you frame it in a way, right? Yep. So, so it's like, oh, well, I know about this. I have knowledge about this. I've been educated about this. And then there's this third part of the mind, the conative or the doing part of the mind. And this is where our instincts sit, our drive, like things that we're driven to do, things that we mm -hmm. have to do that we don't even think about. We just have to do them. Uh, our, our innate talents sit here and our mental energy sits here. And hmm. so mental energy is something that from a pandemic perspective, we should definitely have been paying more attention to yeah. and weren't. Yep. And because people have a limited amount of mental energy and it can be replenished, but you have to take time off in order to do that. And when people moved into their homes and they were working all the time, they weren't replenishing this mental energy. It's one of the things that led people to get to burnout, right? Yep. Because of because you're constantly trying to work on empty, basically. And so there's there's that piece of it. But this conative or doing part of the mind is really where our instincts sit. Things that we do when we are motivated to solve a problem. So motivation is affect, right? When mm -hmm. we're motivated to solve a problem, our instincts kick in. And we have a way of doing it that's our natural way. It's frankly something we're born with. And mm -hmm. it's not even something that we develop over time. It's just something that we're born with. And then society helps us decide if we're going to pay attention to it or not. So for example, so for example, one of the ways that people instinctively take action is is by gathering and sharing information. Yes. And if you instinctively do that and your instinct is to gather lots of information, you are perfect for the American school system because that's what <laughs> that and how you organize. You have to be very organized and systemic systemic and that kind of thing. Yeah. And so and so, but if you're not, like if if your instinct when you are 
faced with a problem that you're motivated to solve, if your instinct is to start to go in there and, and try to like, see what the options are and brainstorm and try things out and see what works and what doesn't work. And exactly, exactly. Right. You, it's exactly me. You, right? me. Yeah. Right. Then you're going to struggle in a world that requires you to be a, a really a fact finder because right. you are, you are not going to ever be gathering enough information for the school system. Right. But when you get out into the world and you are a consultant, right. And you, you're free to be yourself. Then like the, then that's where your instincts get to shine. Yeah. And so we in companies, what we do is we hire people and they have instincts. And then if the instincts don't fit exactly the way we want them to, then we they spend their entire careers trying to be something that they're not, right? Okay. So when somebody says to me, well, your desk should be neater. Like, I can't even tell you, this used to come up on my performance <laughs> appraisals. Your desk should be neater, be neater. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Was that in my goals? Like, not <laughs> goal. I, like I don't I remember my that. goals out of the water. Like right. I exceeded expectations and everything. And we're talking about that. My desk isn't neat enough. Right. <laughs> and it's because my instinct is not, it's, it's, it's my instinct is not, to make not important to me. Right. It's not right. totally not. Right. And so, and so it's, it's that kind of thing. Like companies get caught up in the wrong stuff and they, and people go into jobs often that they really aren't instinctively suited for, but mm -hmm. like they thought it's what they're supposed to do. Like, I think, I think people who become lawyers and then end up doing something else are perfect examples, right? They thought they wanted to be a lawyer. They certainly had the fact finder to get through it. Right. But then they were like, oh no, this is totally not me. But some people stay and they're miserable their whole lives. Right. Right. And some people aren't like you and you get out and you do something that you're more suited for. But it's that it's that kind of thing where we lose touch with this conative part of our mind because society school tells us we have to be a certain way in order to succeed. And we can make that happen. But for some people, it's it's easy, right, because it's part of who they are. And for some people, it's a slog fest. Yeah. And. And when you get out into the world and you can do things like I, this just happened with my one of my grandsons, he's an initiating quick start and mm -hmm. he he thought he was supposed to go to college. And and it turned out that he decided after a semester, no, it's not what he wanted to do. He wanted to do something mm -hmm. else. And what mm -hmm. he's doing is totally more suited to him. But mm -hmm. society sort of instills in you right, right the value of you must go to college. And so. Right. He's going to do really well in life because he's going to be working with his instincts and he's going to be the best person that he can be. And working in a job that he's totally suited for is going to make just as much money as me. And God bless him. Right. Yeah. That's what we want. But that's that's not what society. So we're not paying attention as a society and as a company. We don't pay attention to these things. And it makes a difference. Like we talk about trying to get people to not have burnout. If you make someone work against their grain all the time, like if you say to them, I, you know, I want you to stop experimenting. I need you to just gather the information and pay attention and read the spreadsheet and then tell me what the spreadsheet says. And that's not their instinct. They can do it. But oh my God, the energy that it's going to take for them to do that is not the energy that it would take me right. as an as a fact finder, right? Yeah. Somebody, that's how I solve problems. Yeah. So anyway, I know I've been babbling, but. No, but it's 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 really interesting. So if you're interested in finding out more about the Colby Index, uh, you can go to is it Colbyindex.com or is Colby.com? Colby.com. Colby. 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 
You can also reach out to Beth Banks Cohn. She's the only one on LinkedIn. Uh, I took the test last night because I thought, you know, it certainly might come up today and it might be interesting. So this cracked me up in the in the don't category. Oh, yeah. So, you know, this is what where I should not be spending my time, what right. does not work for me. Don't right. demonstrate the use of mechanical stuff. Do not take responsibility for maintaining equipment. Do right. not take apart small appliances. Do not fix broken parts. Do not build many physical models. Correct. Because I hate all that stuff. It's the reason right. that I get a new whatever it is, a new toaster oven, a new iPhone, a new whatever, and I take it out of the box and I start playing with it or figuring it out. I do not read the instructions. I hate Ikea because you have to put, you know, like slot A and thingy D and it makes me crazy. And my dad is the exact same way. And so I always thought I learned this behavior from my dad. You don't read instructions. But what you're pointing to is that this is actually, this is me having nothing to do with my dad. This is just an instinctual thing in me. Right. That's right. And that's, so there's four, for Kathy Colby, there's four action modes. One of them is implementer. That's what you just showed. Implementer mm -hmm. is how we physically handle space and tangibles. We all do it in some way. You, you and I both envision, like we can picture it. We can right. picture somebody fixing it, but yep. we, we ourselves, are not going to fix it. And I always say I have enough mental energy to take it apart, take an appliance apart, but I do not have enough mental energy to put it back together. And so, <laughs> and that's really where it comes to. It's, it's like, I, you have a set amount of mental energy, my mental energy, my smallest amount of mental energy gets put onto, onto implementer, onto hand, physically handling space intangibles. Like yeah. I always say, it's what a checkbook is for. Like I call somebody, like I am not, <laughs> I'm not fixing it. And by the way, you don't want me to. Like, don't exactly ever driver and say no. Art, right? Exactly. It's exactly. what my best friend calls a vegum, a very good use of money. Yes. <laughs> no. Here, here's my car. Fix my car. I don't That's know right. what the problem is. It's going. It's doing this sound or this light came right. on or yeah. I am not going to figure out right. anything to do about it. Yeah. Um, it's like it's and, like changing oil. Like when I forgot my first car, somebody said to me, oh, I can teach you how to change your oil. And I'm like, what? no, thank you. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to to the dealer. Oh, but it's going to cost money. I'm like, money well spent. That's right. Because I'll end up with a screw and a something and a whatever. Yeah. Like, I, I don't yeah. know where these parts go. Yeah. But yeah. I think, I think, you know, what's interesting about the Colby index is, is that, first of all, it's not really something that's so mainstream that everybody knows about it. Right. And, and it does answer, because I use it a lot with my coaching clients. It answers the unanswerable questions. Hmm. It's like, why am I always this, right? Hmm. Why, why, when we go into a room to, to brainstorm, am I always the one that's very quiet, right? Huh. Or why, why am I the person who I can't, I can't work on multiple things. I can only yeah. work on one thing at a time. And people and people think it's a character flaw. This is the right. thing that kills me, right? They think it's a character flaw. And yeah. I'm like, that's not a character flaw. That's who you are. Like, let's figure out a way to make that work for you. But that isn't changing. Like, you can learn how to work on more than one thing at a time, but it's always going to feel uncomfortable and you're never going to be efficient. Right. So why don't you just work on one thing at a time, finish it and move <laughs> on to the next thing? I mean, that's not, that's not me. Like, I don't, I don't do that. You don't do that yeah. either, but, but that's not, but, but it's like, if people do think that some of these instinctive things are character flaws Yeah. and it breaks my heart 
because they're going through life thinking that they're deficient in some way and they're not. That's what I love about the Colby Index. It helps you feel whole. And I think from a change perspective, it gives you another insight into why a change is working for you or it's not working for you, hmm. right? Because it's, it. it could be it could be that there's something about it that you really can't believe in. So you really can't, from an affective perspective, really sacrifice what you need to in order to support it. Or maybe it's that cognitive, like, I think these guys, like, I, I've researched this and I, I think this is the wrong way to go, right? right. And, and there's a way to deal with that, right? Because there's plenty of people that are always going to think it's the wrong way to go. But you can always treat them with respect and respect their ideas and just say, we're going to try it this way. If it doesn't work, we're going to try it your way, right? Right. And then, and then the conative is like, is the, it's like this job has now become something I really can't manage. Like I go home every day and I'm exhausted. I don't understand why I, I, you know, it takes me forever to do this PowerPoint. I don't understand why, like these are, those are symptoms for things that are out of whack from a conative perspective that you yeah. really have to pay attention to because how you're working is not working for you. And when people get that insight, it really takes a load off their mind and allows mm -hmm. them to be better at change. Because once you know what you, who you are and what's going to work for you and what's not, you can figure out how to make a change work for you. Yeah. And we often don't do that. We just sort of put the change on people instead of saying to them, this is the change. Let's figure out how it's going to work for you in the best way possible. We, we, we definitely don't pay attention to that. Uh, I, I love I love that. And I, actually, that's that's where I want to leave it for today. You know, how can we make this work for you? Because that is so much um, the simp the, or, or the like the end place that so many of us are, especially so many of us consultants are helping organizations figure out how to get to like, how can we make this great for your people? How can we make your organization great for your people? How can we make this change great for your people? How can we make this system great for your people? You know, how can, how can we align the organization with your mission, vision, values so that it's great for your people, so that your people feel connected to that and want to come to work and want to do a great job and serve your customers well? So I, I, I love that. Thank you for bringing that into the conversation. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I love I love what you said. It really it really comes down to you know, people do get up in the morning and say I want to do a great job today. And then they right. get to work and sometimes they just can't. Yeah. Right? And that's that is what we try to get them to a different spot, right? Because you can get the best out of each and every one of your people. You just have to pay attention. Yeah. Which is why the show is called the cost of not paying attention so that we can shine a light onto, onto those places and hopefully uh, help everyone pay a little bit more attention to some of the things that are critical. Beth, thank you so much for oh, being here with us today and sharing of, uh, of all of your wisdom and, and the Colby Index and Conation, which I had never heard of before you and I uh, had a conversation a while ago. And I am looking forward to continuing this conversation with you for many years to come. Oh, thank you. Me too. And it's really been an honor today, Janine. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, absolutely. I am Janine Hamner-Holman, and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time.
On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been the cost of not paying attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams.